singing just voices. think it will lead to what you want most. I see respect. While becoming an imposter to yourself and blurring the lines of truth. What do you see? Love. You make this imitation your reality. What do you see? But you have to ask yourself. Life. Is what you're seeing real or just a mirage? Just wanted to let you know I'm actually not in the building right now because a good friend of mine, Carlos Serrano, and I decided a while back that we're going to swap churches for today. So, uh, I am going to be preaching at Grace Life this morning, so y'all can be praying for me. And Carlos Serrano is going to be bringing the message today entitled, Man Up. Tell you a little bit about Carlo. Carlo is a fantastic friend of mine. We've known each other for about six years now. Him and I actually used to do a radio program called uh, The Spirit of Clarksville on 1400 WJZM. It was a call-in Bible program uh, that people could be able to call and ask questions, and it was really, really fun. It went from Monday through Friday at 9 o'clock in the morning, and you're really in for a treat. Carlo's a really good friend. He's a great communicator, and uh, if you want any more information, you can go to Grace Life Clarksville and uh, learn a little bit more about Carlo and Grace. We love you guys. Thank you so much, and listen and welcome Carlo Serrano. What's up, One Church? That was so awkward, wasn't it? Because, like, we're talking about integrity and honesty and telling the whole truth today, and I'm like, dude, you were just with me, like, an hour ago right here, and you filmed that, like, from your house, but you're saying in the video, I'm currently preaching at Graceland. So give him a hard time about not being forthcoming, saying I pre-recorded this video, you know, last Thursday. No. Uh, glad to be here. Uh, I love One Church. I know a lot about you because Chris and I are good friends. When you're a pastor, there's, uh, there's not a lot of people, unless you do that thing with, with your life, that can really relate to some of the ups and downs and the 
ins and outs of ministry. And so Chris is one of the one of my band of brothers in this town, along with about three or four other local church pastors, Mike Burnett at LifePoint Church, Kevin Miller at Awaken Church, uh, we're Steve Step at Grace Nazarene. We actually are really, really good friends, like not business friends who hang out whenever there's a ministerial meeting. Like we really, truly do life together. And so if you leave one of our churches and go to the other church, uh, just know that we talk uh, <laughs> We know each other well. We're really good buddies. And so I know a lot about you, your story. I've uh, spent many times praying with Chris about you and uh, just honored to be here. We're going to continue this Bad Ink series talking about manning up. Man up, the title of the message, and we'll get to what that means uh, in a minute. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 9. That's in the Old Testament. If you have like a book Bible with you, if not, it's in the Version app and you can find all the notes there. Uh, and I believe some of the scriptures will be on the screen as well. 1 Samuel 9 is where we're going to be. Have you ever forgotten to do something very important first thing in the morning? You got your routine all the time we do it. Maybe you forgot to take down the trash on trash day. Maybe you forgot to check if your socks matched. Um, maybe you forgot to make the bed if that's your thing. Although that's a weird thing to have because in a couple of hours, you're just going to mess that thing up again. And unless you plan on showing your house that you're selling it, no one is going to know if that bed is made or not other than you. I got a couple witnesses in here who think bed making is just ridiculous. Uh, you'll be all right if the bed isn't made. My wife is one of those bed maker people, so that's why I'm throwing a couple extra jabs. I'm trying to get you to amen with me, so maybe it'll change. No, it won't change her ways, but bed needs to be made. During freshman year of high school, I forgot to do something very, very important, and it almost cost me dearly. It almost cost my reputation, almost cost me friends. Uh, I forgot to put on deodorant one day. <laughs> now, here's a math problem. A teenage boy uh, forgets to put deodorant on in the morning. How long will it take that boy before he starts to smell like a Whopper Junior with a side of onion rings, right? Not very long before he starts to stink. So I'll never forget it. I, I, all day long, I kept smelling something ferocious, like, man, what is that smell? Who stinks? Like, I'm talking about people in my head, like, man, somebody needs to clean themselves. And the whole time, it's me. Uh, and what's worse is no one said anything to me. So-called buddies, you know, who are who've been around you all day, you know, the people that gave you a hug and knew that you smelled bad, but no one said anything, bunch of coward friends, you know, no one spoke up. I had one friend, though, he waited until fifth period, P.E., locker room, the appropriate time to have that conversation, I guess, and I'll never forget, he said, dude, you stink. And I'm like, for real? And I smelled, and I was like, oh, man, I must have not, it, then it hit me, like, I didn't put on deodorant, and so I was like, thanks, man, no problem, and you know, uh, he, he saved me. He said, man, people are starting to talk, uh, and you're starting, I mean, you don't want to be that guy, right? You don't want to be the stinky kid. Everybody knows who the stinky kid was. If you don't know who the stinky kid was, it was you. We'll pray, <laughs> we'll pray for you afterwards, but I, I almost became that kid, the stinky kid, uh, and he saved me, you know, from, from that. Uh, so a couple days go by, um, and he pulls me aside, literally pulls me aside again and says, dude, what did I tell you? Put on deodorant. And I got mad. I was like, man, I have been putting on deodorant. What are you talking about? And he said, something that changed my life. What kind? It's like, kind? There's kinds? I'll just grab whatever. And, and no, man, he said, you can't do that. You, you, you guys, old school guys, you remember the old green can of Brute spray-on deodorant, you know? You just kind of spray a cloud and walk through it, you know? Uh, I thought that was good enough. And he's like, man, that stuff won't last. You sweat too much. You know, you, you can't do that. You can't go grab your mom's little clear with the roll-on ball, the clear. You can't put that on when you're a, a guy. You need the right kind of deodorant to keep from being funky. Smell funky, you might not know what that means. It means 
bad stink. You know, I'm not talking about funk music. It's funky smell. Um, and before you judge my parents for not teaching me how to properly use deodorant, they did, but like a teenager, I mean, I ignored my parents. That's what you do when you're a teenager. They don't know anything about anything. Teenagers know it all. Uh, I'm glad that God allows me to be around. I'm a 14-year-old who I thank God for his wisdom and that God lets me uh, be in his presence because he's just so brilliant. Um, <laughs> he is brilliant. He really is. He's a good kid, he, but, uh, but he knows more than me, you know, uh, a, lot, a lot of the time. So anyway... Uh, I think, I'm thankful, thankful for my friend because my friend really saved my reputation. I was that close to being the smelly kid. I mean, I was that close to being the guy that went through school stinking and I would have had no clue and it would have wrecked me, and, uh, but thankfully he saved me. Sometimes, if I can be honest, I care a little bit too much about what people think of me. Can you relate to that? Have you been there? Sometimes the opinions of others matter more than they should to the point that they control me. I like to tell people I'm a recovering people pleaser. People pleasers, you know what I'm talking about. We don't like tension at all. We don't like relational tension. I don't even want to imagine that somebody is mad at me. Like, I'm going to do whatever I can do so that there's always peace, that I'm everybody's friend, that I have no enemies, right? That's people pleasing. And sometimes when you're a people pleaser, you compromise what's the right thing in order to feel right. So you kind of let people walk all over you. You avoid confrontation in the name of, well, I want to keep the peace. No, you just don't want to deal with confrontation. It's really a form of cowardice. That's a different message altogether. But that was me for a long time, and thank God I'm not that way anymore. But all of us have experienced these situations where our reputation is on the line, and how we view reputation will matter, what will affect how we respond to that. If you're a people pleaser, then you'll jump through hoops to put on the show so that no one can think bad of you. You'll go above and beyond so that your outward appearance as well. The other extreme of that is the guy who just doesn't give a flip. You know him, right? I don't care what people think. That's what he says. That's what she says. But we all care. We're humans. We care what people think about us. How do I know that we all care what people think about us? Because we all wore clothes here today to one church. <laughs> That's how I know that you care. You brushed your teeth this morning, Lord willing. <clears throat> That's how I know that you really do care what people think of you. But both of those extremes can, can really mess up the importance of reputation. Your reputation is the beliefs or opinions that others have uh, genuinely hold about you or someone or something. Basically, what do people think of when they think of you? It's your reputation. Um, and so for me, I was developing this reputation of being the smelly kid, and I, and I applied the wrong thing to try to fix that bad reputation. In my case, I didn't use the right kind of deodorant. But a lot of people, especially men, try to fix their reputation by going about it the wrong way. And that's where we're going today and talking about what does it mean to man up. It's, it's not to necessarily be this macho, tough guy with, with knives and guns who eats steak six times a, a, a day. And by the way, if you don't eat six meals a day, you don't know what, you, you can't spell man because real men eat multiple meals, right? You know what I'm saying? That just, ah growling and fighting and spitting and if, if that's not a part of your life our culture has taught us well you're not really a man have you heard that here's what a man does guys if you're honest you cringe at those those messages right oh man they're gonna talk about manhood at church and tell me how much i suck at being a man i'm not good enough with my money i'm not good enough at this i don't take charge enough and so we it just creates this big old twisted confusing idea of what it means to be a man or again so that's caring so much about it. Or we run to the other extreme and don't talk about it at all. You grew up in a church like I did 
where they said everybody's welcome, but there were flowers everywhere, and we sang songs about being in love and kissing Jesus and sitting in his lap, and I'm like, what kind of dude wants to do that? <laughs> the church is like pink, mauve in the bathroom. Like, there's rose, a rose picture in the men's room. Like, that's, that's the other extreme, right? That's saying we don't, got to man up. To man up, it's a sports term. If you're a sports fan in here, you're familiar with the man defense, right? It translates in every sport, including soccer. We'll count that as a sport today. <laughs> if you're a soccer fan and that offended you, awesome. That's what I was trying to do. I was trying to provoke you to, to do combatives or something. Man, no, I'm just <laughs> play rugby, the, the real man's soccer. Anyway, uh, to man up, it's two kinds of defenses in sports. Your zone defense, right, where everyone's responsible for a certain area. So if you're responsible for one area and someone gets through, have no fear. Someone's got your back because it's zone defense. But in man defense, there is no someone else. Someone else has died. You're it. Like if, if the guy gets past you, he's going to score. If the guy gets past you, you lose. And so to man up is, man, it's just me and you. It's a fight to the death. I'm going to take full responsibility for my situation. That's what I, what I think of when I hear someone say, you need to man up. It, trans, it, it, it transcends gender. You need to take full responsibility for the situation that you are in. To man up, to do the things that a godly man would just naturally do. Take responsibility, have courage in the face of adversity. That applies to anyone. It doesn't matter if it's man, woman, or child. We're all in those situations where we got to man up. Our country needs a whole lot of manning up, doesn't it? Take responsibility for your own junk. My, my definition can just be summed up real simple. Get in the game. Get off the sidelines of your life and get in the game and take back your reputation. Take back what people think about you. Our big idea today is simply this. If I take care of my character, my reputation will take care of me. Manning up is a character issue. If I take care of my character, my reputation will take care of me. So if I'm winning in the character area, my reputation is going to precede me. It's going to be awesome. The great news about this book we call the Bible is it gives us tons of examples we can draw from. And there's a great story buried deep in 1 Samuel in the Old Testament that really shows and illustrates the power of a good name, the power of what happens, what, what could your life look like if you were to man up and own that. So we're going to look there, 1 Samuel 9. I'm going to start reading. I apologize for the first verse, not that the Bible needs me to apologize for it, but it's weird. It says there was a Benjamite, what's that? A man of standing whose name was Kishon of Abiel. That's weird. The son of Zeror, the son of Bekorah, the son of Aphia of Benjamin. That's weird. Like, why did you put all that stuff in the Bible? Here's why. Kish had a son named Saul. That's the point. Just to let us know that these are real people with real families, with real stories, and there's one of them we want to get to. This is a side message here. You can't talk about Saul without first finding out who his father was and who his father's father was and who his father's father's father. You get what I'm saying? All this reputation, all this character stuff, we're not islands to ourselves. And what happens in our lives, there's this ripple effect of everything around it. And so sometimes when you read lists like this in the Bible, we, oh, we skim past them real quick. Because one, half of us can't pronounce the words and the names. And two, it's not written in red. So we're like, Jesus didn't say it, so I'm going to skip by it. <laughs> but in all seriousness, Sometimes it's really fun to stop and read those lists, and you'll start to see names that are familiar. If you read Matthew chapter 1, you'll see a bunch of familiar names and be like, oh, man, that dude was related to Jesus, and you can see that story. So the whole point of that first half 
was just to introduce us to Saul. And it says here, Saul was as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. So Saul is the best looking man in the country. He's on the cover of People magazine every year. No questions. There is no runner up. It's him. And he's taller than everyone else too. So he's probably athletic. He looks good. He's lean, mean. Saul has it going on. I was watching a movie with my wife, Jamie, uh, about a year ago, and, and uh, I told her, I said, I, th- I want to do research on Jennifer Aniston and Jennifer Lopez. Now, unless you think she reached out and slapped me, hold on, there's, there's a method to this. There's behind my madness. I said, listen, listen, my, my research is simply this. Here's my research question. Why do these so-called beautiful people struggle to keep a man? Like, what's her deal? What is wrong with them? That's literally what I was asking my wife, venting like, They have what society says is everything. They have the outward beauty that everybody, either women want to be like them, men want to be that, you know know what I'm saying. They're beautiful. Everything, they got more money than than I know what to do with. I can't count that high, as much money as as they have. I think Jennifer Aniston was making a million and a half dollars an episode the last season of Friends. Like, that doesn't even sound like English to me to say that much money out loud. They got all this money, and yet, they're lonely. Like they're alone, they don't have anyone. So I started asking, why is, what is it that keeps them, that makes them have the hardest time? They're, they're, they're most beautiful women in the land, right? They got more money than, they're head, head above every other woman. And yet they're alone. Is it bad luck? You know, they just pick the wrong guy. Maybe they don't go to church because that's where you pick people up, I heard. I'm just saying. I happen to meet my wife at church, but I'm just throwing that out there, man. It might be the place you can find uh, a woman. Maybe they don't go to church. You couldn't find the right one. Maybe they have bad breath, something practical, like Jennifer Aniston stinks. Maybe no one just, she, maybe that's the problem. We only see her on TV, right? But maybe that's the real deal is once you get to know her, she smells like kale and garlic and, you know. Um, could there be something deeper? Could their reputation actually outweigh their looks? Could it be that in the circle they run in, and I mean, I'm not trying to be judgmental. Again, this is science research. Just asking the question. Could it be that the people who run in circles with them know something we don't know? And they could probably tell us, man, I don't know the deal. But the bottom line is it doesn't matter how good they looked. The looks weren't enough. Something was lacking. So Saul, he's the best looking guy in the country. He's young, he's tall, he's lean, he's mean, he's probably in shape. He looked the part of greatness. He looked the part of manliness. He's the poster child for the general officer. He's the poster child for the NBA All-Star. He's he's the poster child for here's what it is to be a man. But the Bible tells us later on in his story that no matter how beautiful Saul looked on the outside, his character was ugly. His character was so ugly it ended up killing him, literally. Later on in 1 Samuel 15, we find out that through a series of events, Saul had disobeyed things God told him directly to do. Like, Saul, I want you to go here and do this. And Saul went there, but he only did half of it. And he made excuses for why he didn't do it. So after enough time, God's had enough, said, forget it. I'm going to put someone else as the king. I'm going to rip the kingdom from you, Saul. And Saul, like we all do when we're caught, we beg for mercy, right? We say, God, help me. I'm sorry. God, see what had happened was I meant to kill them all, but then I got distracted. Oh, I did this for you, God. That's what it was. I really was. He came up with all these excuses 
And there's one line Saul says, and, and we don't have time to go there, but it's in 1 Samuel 15, 24. Saul says, I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. And that just reeks of character flaw issues, integrity issues. I was more afraid of what people thought of me than what God thought of me, so I didn't do what you said to do, God. And in that moment, the, the kingdom gets ripped from him, uh, and God says, man, I reject you. I'm going to go find a king, a man who's after my own heart. If I take care of my character, my reputation will take care of me. Let's go back to 1 Samuel 9. Keep reading. So there's Saul, right? He's head and shoulders above everyone else. Great looking guy. Verse 3. <clears throat> now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, take one of the servants with you and go and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the hill country of Ephraim, through the area around Shalisha, but they didn't find them. They went into went on into the district of Shalim, but the donkeys weren't there. Then they passed through the territory of Benjamin, but they did not find them. So Saul, the pretty boy, gets put on this grunt's mission. Like how beneath him? Like for real, dad, we got servants that can do this. Why do I have to go and look for these donkeys? I don't know why his dad decided to send him, but he sent him. Notice he told him, go and get one of the servants, which means they had multiple servants. Why didn't he just send a band of servants looking for a donkey? I don't know. But it was a wild goose chase that he was on. I mean, there's a lot of donkeys going on back in that day, right? It's not like they had cars. So imagine how many donkeys he stopped and checked to make sure, is this my dad's? No, that's not it. No, that's not it. And he roams all over the place on what seems like a mission impossible. Needle in a haystack. In a land full of donkeys, you want me to find a donkey. Good luck. Had to be frustrating for Saul, the pretty boy, right? He'd rather be at home, kicked up, watching TV, hanging out, you know, talking to girls, whatever. Pretty boys do. I'm not one of them, so I don't know. But frustrating. If it were me, I would have given it like, I would have I looked for it like an eight-year-old looks for the remote control. You know what I'm talking about? They walk into the room. I can't find it. You know, just, is it under here? Nope, I don't know where it's at. You know, I would have just done some. But no, he actually went about the journey. And here's where the story really hammers home this idea of the power of reputation. Verse five, when they reached the district of Zuf, Saul said to the servant, come, let's go back, or my father will stop thinking about the donkeys and start worrying about us. Translation, hey, it's getting late. I don't want my dad to worry. Let's just call off the search. Now, scholars are torn on the meaning of that. Some believe Saul genuinely wanted to honor his dad and didn't want his father to, to worry about him. And that's what we say, oh, how sweet. But I say bull, because I've read the rest of the Bible. And Saul did not have a character that said, I care about other people. Saul's character said, I'm selfish. So let me blow this smoke at the servant. Oh, man, I care about my dad. Saul just wanted to quit looking. He was ready to give up. Saul, like I would have done five minutes into the trip, said, this is the dumbest thing in the world, looking for a donkey. We have money. We can buy another donkey. We're strong. Let's steal somebody else's donkey. Why do I have to be out here looking for this donkey? So Saul wanted to quit. He gave it the junior college try and said, that's enough. I'm out. This isn't for me. And we know people like this in life. Maybe this has been us. Right there, ready to give up. We've tried we're on this journey, and we think it's not getting us anywhere, and we're ready to quit. And like we see in this story, most of the times we want to quit, what's usually right around the corner? The answer, victory, success, if we just take that one extra step. And that's what happens here 
Verse 6, the servant replied, look, in this town there is a man of God. He is highly respected, and everything he says comes true. Let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us the way to take. We're going to park here for the rest of our time. I'm going to give you the spoiler alert. Uh, the man of God is a prophet named Samuel. Have you, some of you might have heard of him. Samuel was a prophet. He kind of ran the country because there was no king, and so he was kind of the boss, man of God. That's also another, can, can display to you the character of Saul, the fact that Saul didn't know who the top man of God in the country was. Kind of shows you where Saul was spiritually at the time. But for whatever reason, by his grace, God chose Saul. He's going to be the king. And so this prophet Samuel eventually will basically, it's something they called anointing back then. He takes a bunch of oil and dumps it over his head and says, you're going to be the new king. And he puts him in charge. And then later on, Saul does all the bad things I talked about, you know, disobeying God and all that. So Samuel has to come back and say, you're not the king anymore. And then Samuel goes on a long journey to Bethlehem, and he finds this guy named Jesse who has a bunch of sons. And one of Jesse's sons, he was a little runt, little redhead, scraggly little kid who didn't look good at all. And his name was David. And Samuel says, David, you're going to be the new king. See all the stories kind of weave together? Oh, and they find the donkeys, by the way. So that's the spoiler. That's the rest of the story. They do find the donkeys, and, it, and it's all well. But Saul's life is changed forever when he encounters this man of God. He was ready to quit. So he would have quit, and at best, he just would have been the, the best-looking guy in the country, living at home with his dad, <laughs> if he would have quit. But thank God for this humble servant who says, wait, before we give up, there's a man of God in this town. Everything he says comes true. He's respected. Let's go to him because he may show us the way to take, and, and the rest of their life changed. If it wasn't for the reputation of Samuel, nothing changes in the life of Saul. The fact that Samuel had a reputation as being a man of God literally changed an entire country. That's huge. Just the reputation of one guy changed everything. Let me put it another way. Two seekers found what they were looking for all because of one guy's reputation. We think about being Christ-like, you know, being honest and telling, you know, and, and loving people. We think of all that stuff as, here's how I can be a better Christian. Have you heard those kind of things? Be the best Christian you can be. Do everything as unto the Lord. And when I think about that, it's so selfish because it's all about me. I got to look the part because I say that I'm a Christian, so let me do these Christian things. And we never stop and think about the seeker who needs me to act like Christ because that's what's going to lead them to Jesus. My reputation. They're going to know that, man, that, there's something about that guy that I like. So instead of my motive being, let me love Jesus with all my heart because that's what good Christians do, what if it was, let me love Jesus and live for him because by living for him, someone might find what they're looking for through me. Someone might see my honesty, and that might connect them to Jesus. That's our mission, folks. That's why we do what we do. It's not to build bigger churches. It's not to build our own followers. It's so that people can grow in their relationship. I've heard it, man, 10 times since I've been here this morning. The, this, everything we do as a church is to help people grow in their relationship with Christ. Paul in the New Testament he wrote a lot of the New Testament, and he says, follow me as I follow Christ. That's the idea. As I follow Jesus, 
I invite you to, follow, to watch me following Jesus so that we can keep growing together in following Jesus. My service to you is not so that I can feel good serving. My service to you is so that through my service, you may become closer to Jesus. And then you'll go and do likewise. Reputation is powerful. Look, in this, in this town, it said there's a man of God. What does that mean, a man of God? When you think of a man of God, you might think of some guy in a fancy, like, clerical suit, you know, with the white collar or big old Pope hat. Pope has some fly hats, man. Those things got to be heavy. You, you might think all these fancy clothes or I don't know your background. Man of God to me always meant preacher growing up. You know, that's the preacher, the man of God. You got to say it like that, man of God. But in this text, it means a prophet, a seer. But really, the, the true meaning of man of God, it's someone who speaks God's words. That's a man of God. Someone who speaks God's words. So that doesn't literally mean God channels through you and everything you're saying. Think of it this way. As I talk, would God say what I'm about to say? That's what it is to speak God's words. Would God really be ready to cuss this guy out over a parking space and tell him, man, I hope you jump off a bridge and die because I'm so angry? Is that what God would say? But man, God speaks God's words. He's highly respected. That means it's a person of virtue, honor, good reputation. The actual Hebrew word there means someone who's weighty, a weightiness. Like not a big person, but when, you know, a weighty person. When you walk into a room, the atmosphere changes. Do you know people like that? Like just them showing up. Soldiers, we know those guys, right? That's that old crusty 32-year command star major, right? When he walks in the room, everything changes because of the weight of this person. Their, their presence, it changes everything. You don't say things around someone who's weighty and respected that you would normally say in casual conversation, right? If you don't know what I'm talking about, you don't talk in the barracks on a Friday night like you would at your mom's dinner table. Unless your mom was a soldier, then you got, that's, that's fun. That's a whole, my mother-in-law and father-in-law were soldiers, so we kind of roll differently in our house, you know, but yeah, you, normally you, you don't say things to the governor that you're going to say to your buddy. Why? Respected. There's something, you respect that. There's, there's a weightiness to it. And it says, and everything he says, in verse 6, everything he says comes true. We think of that and think of this guy who's prophesying the future. I'm going to predict no rain and it's not going to rain. And there's a little bit of that in the Bible. Everything he says comes true simply means he doesn't lie. What he says, he does. What he says he's going to do, he acts on. Everything he says comes true. He says this is the way it's going to be and his words are just that powerful. That's the way it is. It's like the person who signs up and says, yes, I'll show up at 530 to help with setup." at one church, and then that person actually shows up. Everything they say is true. Oh, yeah, I'll be in that group. Yeah, I'll go on that trip. I'll sign up to help serve in, in one of the kids' environments. Somewhere in, in churchianity, we have forgotten the importance of just being honest, of keeping our word, of saying, hey, I'm going to show up, I'm going to give, I'm going to support, I'm going to be all in. This is my church. And then we forget those oaths, we forget those promises we make when it's convenient to us. I know I said I was going to be there, but something better came up. So uh, we don't ever tell the person that. We come up with a nice excuse, a reason why we don't do it. But the man of God, everything he says comes true. And then it says, look, let's go there. Perhaps he'll tell us the way to take. Saul's ready to give up on the search. 
and actually give up on his destiny, what God had for his life. But Samuel, because of his reputation, is the person who's sought out. Many of us read those stories and we want to be like Saul. We want to be the best looking person in the land. We want to be a head taller than everyone else. We want the servants and the money. And yet here, Samuel is really the richest person in this whole story. The man of God who just by his power, his presence, has the ability to radically change someone's life. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. Reputation matters. And if I take care of my character, my reputation takes care of me. Several reflections in this story that have an impact on what it means to man up, what it means to lead our homes, what it means to lead in our jobs, what it means to lead in everything we do. The first thing is, is simply this, honesty matters. I talked about that a little bit, but it's so true. So much of Samuel's reputation was wrapped up in, hey, this guy doesn't lie. He doesn't tell half lies. He doesn't, there's no shadow. with He, he keeps it real. He's up front. Honesty matters. The high profile failings of CEOs and general officers in the military and and church leaders, just another church leader this week, you know, big mega church, 8,000 people, and he stepped down because of something silly. It does great damage to the trust, the reputation of the church, right? It does great damage. We know people who don't want anything to do with the church because of reputation. I don't want to go to church because it's full of, there it is, it's full of us. Hypocrites, Chris is preaching at Grace Life Church right now. Our, our series that he's, he's helping us preach is called No Perfect People Allowed. It's busting the myth that we're supposed to have it all together, that church is, no, church is the place where it's okay to not be okay because we serve this God who's constantly making us better, right? So the very community that those people need to be in, they don't want to be in because they're afraid they're going to run into themselves there. I don't want to go to church because there's, there's a bunch of me's running around, hypocrites. And that just comes from little honesty issues, integrity issues. Honesty in life, just living a keep it real life is a practical way to rebuild that trust. I've seen in my experience, the, the, realer, the more real I am with my issues, the more transparent I can be as a leader, as a pastor. It actually helps us. People don't run for me and say, I'm not going to listen to Carlo because he argues with his wife. No, they say, I'm so glad you argue with your wife. It lets me feel normal. It lets me feel it's okay. It lets me feel like, man, if God can use you as jacked up as you are, there's, a, there's hope for me. And it just comes be, from being honest, from, from not letting yourself get put on this, this fake pedestal. Practically, that means in our pursuit of Christ, we focus more on being than doing. We focus on heart transformation more than behavior modification. Anybody can change what they're doing for a little bit. You can fake like you're an honest person for a while, and eventually it'll catch up with you. But when your heart is changed, when you develop a healthy, a healthy hate, a healthy hate for dishonesty, man, it'll change everything else in your life. When genuinely from the heart you say, I want to serve people just because your behavior is naturally going to follow what happens there. We need more Samuel leaders because honesty matters. We also need more people to lead like Samuel and have that reputation because someone is watching. The most dangerous myth in Christianity today is the myth that says your relationship with Jesus is between you and Jesus. Have you heard that? 
My relationship with God is a private matter. Have you heard that? That's dangerous. One, it's not Bible. God created us for community to do life together. God comforts us in our time of suffering for the sole purpose of us using our comfort to go comfort someone else who's going through the same thing. Sorry, it wasn't to make you feel good. It was so that you can then go and be healing and be hope and help for someone else. We're, we're built to do this together. And so whether you like it or not, if you're following Christ, somebody's watching you. If you're thinking about following Christ, somebody's watching you. If you're not following Christ, somebody is watching you. So Christian leadership isn't about position. It's not about creative ability, the ability to manage people. It's about influencing people as they follow Christ, to grow as we're all living. It's, it's about influence because somebody is watching me. And a bad reputation robs us of the leverage we need to influence someone in the right way. Parents, we, if, you, if you tell your kids, hey, please don't smoke cigarettes, if you just tell your kids that, I don't know if you do, I hope you don't do it while you're smoking a cigarette. You laugh because you know that's ridiculous, right? If you do smoke and you don't want your kids to smoke, you at least make sure you don't smoke around them. So you kind of live a do as I say, not as I do. Whatever, that's your thing. I'm just saying, you at least know if I am smoking a big old cigar in front of my kids saying, hey, don't smoke cigars, I'm losing the leverage. I'm losing my leverage. Somebody's watching me. So if my actions aren't lining up with what I say I believe, I'm going to lose leverage to speak into somebody's life. Does that mean I have to be perfect? No. It means even in my failures, I have to show people how to fail well. Does that make sense? Even in my struggles, I need to be able to show someone, hey man, I'm jacked up in this one area and this is how I work through it. This is how God helps me. Even in that, it influences someone of, oh, okay, so you don't have to have it all together, but you can still be working forward. You guys know who Dave Ramsey is? Anybody? Dave Ramsey? FPU people in the house? <clears throat> so you all secretly judge people with credit cards, and I know. I know the deal. <laughs> You're all full of hate, and I'm just... Dave Ramsey. Why do we listen to Dave Ramsey talk about money? Why do we listen to him? Dave Ramsey is mean. He's rude. He yells at people. He cuts them off. His default answer when you disagree with him is, you are an idiot. And yet we buy his books, we read his stuff, we put his posters on our walls, we tell people, come and hear. Why do we do that for Dave Ramsey? Because when it comes to money, he knows what he's talking about. Dave Ramsey ain't broke. That's why I want to hear what he has to say about money. Hello? He has leverage. I'm going to watch every... Now, if I want to know how to close with and engage an enemy in hand-to-hand -hand combat, choke somebody out with their shirt, I'm not going to ask Dave Ramsey. He works in Franklin. He sits at a desk. I'm not going to talk to him about killing people. I'm going to go find some killers. And talk. You know what I'm saying? Ramsey has the leverage. We let him act the way he acts because when it comes... The bottom line is dude knows what he's talking about. He's proven himself with this integrity when it comes to this financial, this money issue. And when we, are, when we don't take care of our character, we lose the leverage to be able to influence people. Someone's watching. And then someone is waiting. Before God can do a work in your house, in your organization, he has to do that great work in our hearts. He's got to change us as leaders. And, and so while we play games, there's somebody waiting for us to let God work in us. There's someone waiting for us to man up and take back our character because they're, they're out there waiting for someone. 
Someone's waiting for a leader to show them what right is. Their life is messed up and they're just waiting. I wish someone could show me the way. Someone like Saul, they're searching for something. They don't know what it is. And your reputation could be the light that shines and they realize that's it. Whatever that guy has, that's what I've been looking for the whole time. Let me ask you a straight up question. Are you being sought out because of your reputation? Do people seek you out because you're godly, because you're respected, because you're honest, because what you say sounds like the things God would say? Or are you being sought out because you have a bad reputation? Are people avoiding you because you're a liar, because you're a gossip, you're a bucket mouth? They know if I tell this person anything, they're going to tell 16 people, so I'm just not going to be there around you. You might think you have a lot of friends, and really, you just talk a lot, and so people know they can go get the juice from you. Or, the other end, you might think you're a loner. I'm tough. I'm a loner. I'll need a bunch of friends. Bro, you're a jerk. That's why you're alone, because everyone sees you, and your reputation is, that guy's an idiot. Don't hang out with him. So you think it's, oh, I'm a loner. No, man, you've got a horrible reputation and people are avoiding you. You know why no one wants to ask you about your church? Because they don't see your church when they see you at work, at Walmart, when you're serving coffee to someone at your coffee shop and you're treating that customer like they're an inconvenience instead of the person that's putting money in your pocket. That's why they don't want anything to do with Jesus. What do we do? We have to man up. We've got to take responsibility for our reputation. We have to get in the game. The good news, the great news is that in Christ, we always get a second chance to make a first impression. Isn't that awesome? In Christ, we get to lay those things down, our junk, our baggage, and we get to pick up his love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his gentleness, his self-control, his honesty, all the things that make Jesus rock, Right? We want to be like him. That's why we sing songs to him. That's why we, we raise our hands and we say, God, you're all, you're beautiful. I want, I want to be with you. I want to be like you. There's no one else in our lives that we treat that way, right? This past week, you didn't raise your hand and sing songs to anybody else. I mean, husbands, unless you got game like that, you did that for your wife, whatever. More power to you. I didn't. He's the one we worship because we want to be like him because he has all. And, and here the whole time he's telling us, you you are, you can be like me. My spirit has given you everything you need for life and godliness to be like this. But we gotta man up. We have to do something about it. Are you with me? You have to do something. Good intentions won't cut it. Henry Ford, he said, you can't build a reputation on what you're going to do. You have to get in the game now and take back those things, take back that reputation. Saul was looking for a donkey and he almost gave up the whole search and went home. And there are people in our city who are desperately searching for hope and for love and for life and for all of the reasons that you gather as a body of Christ. Imagine what our town would look like if, if the men of one church rose to that occasion and said, we're going to be men of God. What would our church look like if the women of one church were known as people who speak the words of God? Everything they say comes true what if our children our students were known as people who were full of integrity and respect and they're respected what would this city look like i think it'd look like lives changed people who are broken receiving hope and, and life 
It looked like marriages on the, on the verge of divorce being saved radically because they saw something in you. They saw your marriage that was almost broken and saved, and something about that attracted them, all because of your repetition. It starts when we man up, when we take it back, when we line our lives up with these values we heard about here in the Scripture. My prayer is simply this. May it be said of us, in Clarksville, at one church, there are men and women of God They are highly respected, and everything they say comes true. Let's go there, because they might show us the way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the power of your word to change our lives. God, I thank you that you haven't called us to anything that your grace has not equipped us to accomplish. I thank you that you don't leave us alone on this planet, but you give us your word. You give us this great community of people called the church. And God, you give us the power of your spirit to say yes to godliness and no to ungodliness. God, if there's a person in this room who's not on this journey following you, I pray this would be the day they they would turn away from the direction they were walking and they would say, God, forgive me, help me, I'm gonna follow you. And I know as they say that in their heart, as they mean that, God, you do what only you do. You save that person. God, you say in your word, if we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all wrongdoing. So I thank you for your saving power. God, for the people here who follow you, who love you, God, who've been on this journey, help us. Help us, God, to take back that reputation. Help us to be the people waving the banner of what the church is for. Let us be known for our honesty, our integrity, our character, the, the, the respect. God, let us have that weight about us that when we walk in the room, the atmosphere changes. God, not so that we'd be glorified, but so that people could see you through us. God, I pray for the men in this room that all of us would let this word burn in our heart, that we would man up, that we wouldn't abdicate our responsibility to lead, that we wouldn't abdicate our responsibility to set the tone, God, in our, in our homes, in our communities, in our nation. God, that we would take it back. We'd get in the game and take back uh, everything the enemy has tried to destroy. Let it start in our hearts. Let us be about your business. And I thank you, God, that as we commit ourselves to your truth, You give us everything we need to accomplish that mission. Help us to leave this place, God, so full of you that it impacts everything that we do as we just live life sharing this great news, this great grace with those who desperately need it. Thank you for giving us the privilege again to gather as your people. We love you. Thank you for all that you're doing, God, and what you're going to do through us. In the strong name of Jesus, amen.